Hello, everyone, and welcome to another interview special of the SWW show. Uh, this is the first one I'm going to say. I'm going to call it post-quarantine edition interviews because I live in Florida, and Florida is basically done with all levels of quarantine since even Disney announced when they're opening. So I'm going to stick with that one. Maybe with the rest of you, you might still be in quarantine. And, yeah, um, we're just going to go on from that one. Anyway, I'm Mike. Today with me, I have a special guest. So could you please tell me your name and the game we're here to talk about? Hello, um, I am Andreas Dilling, and I am the developer of Beyond the Underworld. So, Beyond the Underworld, uh, immediately do you mind giving us uh, whatever your 30-second elevator pitch of this game is? <laughs> okay, yes. So the game is pretty much where you wake up as a girl, and you pretty much you do not know why you're here or where you are, but you are in the afterlife. But again, you don't know where you are. So, so in the game, you pretty much just go around these surreal worlds, which have a lot of focus on surreal plant life, and you find little hints on pretty much what your past life was like and kind of how you got here. So, obviously, um, this is a... How did you, like, want to... Did you something, is something that, like, triggered this want for the, to make this kind of game? Is there something in there? Because obviously, like, immediately it's a very interesting game and even visually i'd say it's a very unique looking game yes um so i've kind of had this well funny thing first um the idea just started out when i was making 2d games on an old engine and i always had this idea for like a blue hub world and that's the hub world in the game and then as i began developing i had these new ideas for like these new landscapes and um i just kept i just kept kind of thinking of what would work especially with different color schemes and I kind of just developed it off that. So, in short, I had an idea for one level, and that level turned into a game, and that game had more levels like this, if that made any sense. You know, that makes sense. Again, so so one of the things that drew me to immediately when I was looking at games and I emailed you was this, this, you have this very contrasty, fluorescent look to the game. So, mm -hmm. is, so as you said, obviously, you always had this kind of image in your head of something akin to it. Is this, like, yes. is your background, like, art to kind of do this? Or is it just kind of a thing you like, I was like, I just want to see if I can make a game that just looks like this. Um, well, I, well, of course, like, many developers who make these kind of weird games like this often are, um, or surreal games like this are often inspired from Journey. And um, so right now, I kind of just want to make, like, a nice, wordless, surreal game. And um, one thing I love is surreal nature. Like, um, the, and there's not a lot of, like, okay, so you know the movie Avatar? Like, mm -hmm. um, the, the good one? <laughs> um, like, the world is so focused on nature. There's so many weird little things that um, was created in this world. And I just, and you don't really find that many movies or media sources that have this type of, I guess, vibe to it. So I just kind of wanted to kind of create my own atmospheric little, yeah, like a more atmospheric kind of world. That's that's so. I've got to ask then, like, because obviously the giant constraint, and I think Journey is obviously the prime example of of dealing with this constraint, as you mentioned, is storytelling with without there being vocals or subtitles or like a direct direction. So how would mm -hmm. what were your kind of like ways to kind of go through this and be like, let's? I want the player to go to A from B, but I want them to know I'm leading them to A to B. Well, the thing is, because um funny thing the beyond the world uh, beyond the underworld is actually my first 3d game so there were a lot of challenges and a lot of things i learned as i was making the game so um and i didn't really since it was my first 3d game this was the first big game i made with um the end with unreal engine so i didn't know everything about the engines so, um so one thing i did was i just well i had of course players going from to a to b um the first few levels are more atmospheric, so there isn't very much storytelling. And what I wanted to do is, the, there are these little things you can find during the levels that kind of give you hints. Like I said, like I mentioned earlier about the game, it gives you hints to the past. And I, what I wanted to happen is the players kind of can figure out, or kind of they have the puzzle pieces, and they might be able to put it all together. Um, one, like, um, if I'm one thing that I tried to do this with was the dream levels. I'm not sure if you remember this from the trailer or 
it's it's, it's very specific, but kind of a whole a black level with all these glowing flowers. Those okay. are the levels I gave you like very little hints about the past life. And then as you moved on the game, there were like these illusions and more these kind of events that gave you more hints. So it, what I'm trying to say is I gave little puzzle pieces and then the players um, could in a way figure that out. That's so I just go back to because it's obviously when from from a developer point of view, it's the it's we always talk about like when, when developers it's the end product is really obvious like obviously this was the answer but like in the moment it's really not obvious so i'm curious yeah if you don't mind opening the the can of worms or going back in time kind of so you obviously have some level of this product now that that you figure out how to make that transition in it how how obvious or how bad were some of your early prototypes of getting players to kind of understand what was happening um well um, one of those things was, like, the main gameplay mechanic, because many games, like, these are walking simulators, and, um, and I, and, um, do you know the, the call system from Journey, like, the little sphere mm-hmm. that comes out of the player? What I wanted to do was that, but, um, I spoke with another developer who actually worked, or worked for that game company, and, um, they told me that if I do that, I could get sued. Mm. So that, of course, kind of put a halt on that. Um, until... Until he said that another game company had this a similar interaction mechanic, but they they had like a loophole. Um, it was a game about a deer, and the, the little call system came from the deer's antlers and not the deer itself. So by that logic, I had my interaction mechanic like I actually did add the tether with just a different color, except I made it come from the robe of the player and not the actual player itself to mm-hmm. say like, oh no, it's not the player making the noise or making this call. It's let's see this magical robe because you know it's it's the afterlife i can you can you can, you can do a lot with that <laughs> so of course when people first saw uh trailers and or at least a few trailers and some screenshots they were a bit confused because i never really showed this interaction mechanic they were wondering is this a walking simulator is this um more of an interaction type of game so they were a bit confused about that um which is something i learned of course for my later projects so the early um, prototypes, I guess, were it was literally just walking. There was no other mechanics. You go, from, you walk from A to B, you hit a trigger box, and that trigger box does something. That's kind of what the earlier game was like. And um, another stupid thing I really did was I made the levels first without thinking of what was going to happen in those levels. So um, I went back and added more things to those levels. And then, of course, at the end, I thought I could have done a lot more with this, but at least I have the experience now. So, I just did kind of things out of order, let's just say that. So, I'm going to make the obvious assumption that next time your goal will be to not make things out of order? (laughs) Yes, yes, that that will definitely be my goal. So... As we kind of talk about this, then obviously, because we keep pointing journey, because I think it is the pristine prime example of a kin thing in the genre. What other games did you look at, kind of as kind of your inspiration for this? Uh, one one of my biggest inspirations besides Journey was uh, another game called First Tree, which um, also was very simple. There wasn't a lot of interaction. Um, a story was told as you like walk through the game. You could do some other things like digging, and um, uh, I think that's it. The game didn't have that much interaction, but it did it so well. Because the the visuals drove so many people in, um, it had a very clean trailer, um, and it, it was just very it was marketed very well for a game that was I wouldn't say simple because there was a good amount of work put into the game, but I definitely often there many times I was just looking at the trailer and saying okay this is a very simple game uh, how um, what's what does this developer do so right with what with what he has to work with? Um, so there was that. And there was also a mobile game by the same company who made Journey called Sky. And of course, I, I can't make Sky. That is that game has a lot of... Um, it has a team behind it, and I'm one person. So of course, I look more at how they made the worlds instead of how they made the, the overall game itself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, uh, wait, did I even say that? I don't think I don't think I said the name of the game. Uh, so yeah, Sky, Children of the Light, and then the first three. So yeah, those were my two biggest things I worked at. 
Children of the Light, I think, is very interesting because obviously it's such a different game, and I, I, I assume it's much more of the art akin and, and some of the more elegant features of that, because again, it's Children of the Light, if I'm correct, that's an RPG here, and with this obviously it's not. Um, I don't think Children of the Light is an RPG, but it could be considered it. It might, it is, actually, maybe it is, I mean, it, I, maybe, actually, never mind, I think it could be considered one. Okay, so one of the other, so one of the things I find very interesting about your game is this whole thing of, like, you're in early access, and I would not expect this type of game to be in early access. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, kind of, your thought process on why you're in early access, like, like what is to you the goal of early access? Is obviously a lot, it's to improve the games, can you work on them, kind of like, what are your focus points on it? Well, um, since this is actually, since, as I mentioned earlier, this is my first 3D game, and this is also my first Steam game. So I, I also don't play a lot of games on Steam, so Steam is something that was a bit new to me. I didn't really know how, mu- how much worked, and also um, um, a big focus for the um, game was optimization, since um, I didn't really know optimization that well, so I wanted to get that tested out in Early Access. And when I actually launched Early Access, I got a lot of bug reports, and there were even a few times where players couldn't progress in a level. So it was kind of um, to understand what to look for in the future, and of course just to know the Steam platform of how, you know, what your layout should be, and how they actually upload, and I actually, to actually make sure that my files actually work, since Steam's upload system is a bit outdated, let's just say that. Hmm. That's very interesting. So so now that you're in the process, then obviously since it's changed, has there been some level of focus to you then kind of during this process before you release to what you consider the akin final version? Um, when you say that, do you mean like what is my focus different now? now yeah, like are you, are you focusing on just bug squash? And are we focused on like if I launch the game now in two months, is it going to be a completely different experience? Okay, I, see, I think I see what you mean. Um, it has changed a bit, because before, my, I, my main focus was getting this game to run well on m- most um, PC platforms. And now, after it's out, I notice that, okay, there's a lot I need to fix, and there is a lot of things that, when I tested it, it worked, but when other players tested it, it didn't work. So that was... Um, so it went from more from optimization to bug fixing. Mm. But I didn't actually expect my game to have that many bugs, but it did. That's that's just game development. Wait, wait, are you, are you implying to me that, that one PC is not the same as the 10,000 PCs over there? Um, that could be the thing. I actually wasn't completely sure what... Some, like, some of the issues was just me missing something, and other issues was just, wait, why did this happen? And um, I actually don't really have an answer mm. about what the issue was, so... So when it comes to optimization, yes, but from gameplay, um, I, I don't fully know. I don't, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So, kind of as we get to the tail end of this, then, what is kind of like the theme or feature you really want people to kind of walk away from this, kind of like being really excited to when they play a game to kind of know about? Uh, really the atmosphere, because that's the things I've gotten the most compliments about, um, some people would say, eh, could have used a good, bit more gameplay, but again, the music and the atmosphere is something that I just seems to be the biggest strength, so I, I'd like um, for players to kind of immerse themselves in that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Looking at it, looking at when we were talking, I have kind of like screenshots of my second monitor kind of going up there looking at it, I'm like, there's something really visually appealing about this game, and like, obviously a lot of it's really appealing. I think it's really cool about it is you have such a unique, abstracty look. But but it's not like a it's an abstract game, but it's very much a like with concrete things. It's not like a I go to the pa- go in a painting and see abstract art. This is more of a like the idea and the essence of abstractness versus direct abstract. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I like that um, wording that you put because it's not like completely random and out of the place like you're on LSD, but it is different from something that you would usually see outside because it's yeah because it is focused more on nature. Perfect. So yeah. So let's, let's see if I get this right. The game is Beyond the Underworld. You're currently in Steam Early Access. Uh, the game is currently fourteen ninety nine. Is that the plan for the game when it hits its full release? Also, actually, one thing I actually do want to say. I am actually going to be lowering the price tomorrow, and I've been wanting to lower the price since it's an early access. It's just Steam doesn't let you unless the game's been out for like a month. Okay. So, so what's what is the new price going to be for everyone? 
Uh, 9.99. So it's 9.99. It's on Steam. Is it also on Itch? I believe. Um, I wasn't going to put it on Itch, but there are some develop. There are some issues with the file size, but I'm still looking into that. But currently, Steam is the main main platform. Perfect. So Steam 9.99, Itch TBD, and uh, uh, the game is as we said, Beyond the Underworld. I believe your twi- what is your Twitter, social media, all that fun stuff I want to find. Oh yes, uh, my um. My Twitter is at, there's going to be a lot of numbers, A36540058. And then my main um, social media would be Instagram, which would be at Peacock underscore games. So I've got to ask, final final question for you. Is, is, there, any, is there any significance to those numbers, or do you just kind of put it in a generator? Uh, funny thing, this actually wasn't my game dev Twitter. Uh, I did make a Twitter, and that was my, um, my um, tag. And then, since I never really posted on Twitter, I, I just converted it to my game dev account. So, um, and the, all those numbers that has to do with just my—it's—it's uh, it's a long story, but let's just say I, let's just say I, um, I thought a tag meant something different, and then that tag, which were all the numbers, be, just became something I put in. Sorry, that, that that probably didn't make a lot of sense. No, no, that that trust me, we all have those weird names. I was just very curious because obviously it's such a different thing, and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, perfect. Well, again, thanks for sitting down to talk to me, and I look forward to seeing how the game proceeds from here. Awesome. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another one of these fun interview episodes of the SWW Show. I'm sticking with these or post-quarantine because I live in Florida, and we're basically out of quarantine, so we're going to go with that to keep my sanity completely in check. Anyway, I have with me a special guest today. Sir, could you please tell me your name and the game we're here to talk about? Um, my name is Rob Chinnery, and uh, I'm here to talk about Warsaver. So, Warsaver, as we'll get to in a second... Um, I like to nicely say you found a way to combine fencing with being a Jedi. Um, do you mind? Do you mind giving us maybe an elevator pitch of the game? Uh, sure. I mean, I think the, the simplest way to explain it uh, that people that you know uh, have experience with VR games would understand is to say it's uh, sort of a combination of uh, blade and sorcery and Beat Saber. Um, uh, it, it it really the, the game is centered around the, um, the slicing mechanic uh, that you would see in, in Beat Saber, but, you know, um, applied to a combat uh, scenario, uh, like you might experience in, in uh, Blade and Sorcery. Okay, yeah, actually, that is probably a good comparison factor. I still like my suggestion, because everyone likes the idea of holding a lightsaber. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I, I assume I'm not that far off then, you've probably seen that, or a combination of Beat Saber to come up with the idea for the game? Um... Sorry, say that again? I was going to say, so what is, like, I assume your inspiration for the game is kind of like that that kind of general line we just kind of came from, though, where you, like, Beat Saber, or I assume you have to do some crazy, like, fencing or Jedis or something for this for the idea of yeah. this game? Yeah, so, um, you know, from playing Beat Saber to Blade Sorcery to even um, the Vader Immortal games, um, you know, obviously uh, the, the lightsaber mechanic is very popular in VR, but um, I didn't really think that uh, any of those games really captured you know what what you would expect that um to feel like so uh i applied it to you know uh kind of a more intense combat um situation where you can actually slice enemies and where you're you know uh your sabers actually collide and um it's actually difficult uh, i don't know if you played the vader immortal but you know there's not really a lot of um, actual like saber combat in that or or any other games that um you know along those lines no, that's, that's a very, I think, solid critique of even, like, even before that there was those, like, Star Wars demos that, like, they gave you a fake lightsaber that you realized was fake the entire time, and that's, like, when you realize that, it's for sure the most disappointing part, because you're like, but you gave me a lightsaber, and it actually does nothing. Exactly. I mean, I th- all it really does in those games, for the most part, I think, is deflect, like, blaster uh, lasers, and um, I don't know, I, I don't think that that's, like, you know, uh, that fun of a mechanic, especially when you have all the potential of, of that uh, weapon. I think it can be fun, but I agree with you. I think the problem with them is the like if I don't deflect, then nothing, it doesn't matter. And that's I think I think that's where the disconnect really comes in. We're like we're like so you kind enough to give me a, a codes for the demo of this game, and and here if I if I mess up, like something happens, like like that's that's an immediate level of like at least at least there is like some level of like a concern or I have to do something. Exactly, and and there's a little more variety to it uh, as well. I mean, you know, if you've deflected one blaster. Kind of deflected them all. Not that it's you know, not that there's no fun involved in that, but 
I think it kind of gets old, and, and you, especially when you know you, you want to take it to the next level of what you've seen in, in movies and in other games and stuff like that, um, where you actually want to be you know hitting another saber and, and you know slicing stuff up. So I've got to ask then because so VR is obviously like I'm still considering a newer medium. I'm not gonna say it's like uber new anymore, but it's still a newer medium. So is this kind of your first experience really making something for VR, or as, as like have you done one before kind of? Um, I've done, this is my first, uh, full PC VR game. Um, I've done some little, uh, like Oculus Go experiences. Um, I've done some, uh, like commercial projects, uh, for demos and things like that. Uh, but this is my first actual, um, PC VR, I would say like higher end, uh, experience. Interesting. So then, so I, I've poked with the Go also, and um, so how 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 freeing is it when you went from the Go to something that actually hold more than two megabits of memory? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, aside from just that, also you know the um, room scale and you know having multiple controllers. I mean, there's so many things. Um, you know that, that also obviously adds complexity. Uh, there's a lot more like problems to deal with and um, things that need to be considered when developing. But uh, it's definitely um, you know it's a, it's a different kind of development experience uh, you're obviously developing for a different audience um and you know there, there is just a lot more you can do so it definitely feels freeing from a creative perspective uh in terms of being able to to do kind of anything that you know your, your mind can come up with um but i think oculus go development also you know has its appeal as well i mean you kind of uh it's almost like a puzzle sometimes trying to figure out how to fit all the interactions and things like that um that you want into that platform oh yeah no that is a i think a very valid complaint about the like just the idea of like of like how tight it is in arcoscope but i'm curious so did you have because i i'm almost assuming you did you had to have some level of like choice paralysis once you realized how relatively open the platform is comparatively um yeah i i think um like i said it's definitely uh a very different experience and this is the first thing i've developed for that so um there's you know a lot of ideas and stuff that uh you know, it's hard. I think it's hard to, to control all the ideas that you have, especially when you kind of have unlimited ability to, to implement anything. Um, but uh, I, with this game, um, I think the um, kind of the theme and the setting and everything that I chose uh, allows me to really um, implement a lot of different ideas and, and kind of still have them fit with that core theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, I wanted to to pick something that I could really um, just, you know, throw every kind of crazy idea. And especially being an early access game, um, you know, I can experiment with a lot of things uh, that might not even end up working or or making it into the final, um, you know, full release. And, uh, you know, and I can get feedback on those um, pretty quickly. So let's let's jump into that. I think mechanically is where your game very very is very interesting because we talk about you, you do more than just the idea of just, oh, I have a lightsaber, go beat someone with it. It's, it's, there's even a level of, like, even, like, you show it in, like, the trailers and advertising of, like, you can interact with, like, environmental pieces and stuff, too. Like, I'm curious what your thought process was of, like, the line you want the player to interact with the environment versus just being this one-on-one sword-to-sword fight. Yeah, definitely. That's um, a major thing that I'm still working on. Um, there's actually some uh, environment interaction that I that I took out um, before, I, before the game entered early access just because... Uh, it, I, I still need to work on, um, you know, you, you don't want players to be able to just break the game uh, at any point, but I do want them to be able to uh, experiment um, with things that, you know, even maybe I didn't um, anticipate. So um, now there, there is a level of uh, environment interaction. You can slice, um, you know, say like uh, streetlights and signs and trees, stuff like that in the environment. You can slice up. Um, you can pick them up and, and uh, kind of do things with them. Um, it's still a little buggy because obviously there are a lot of different um, interactions that it's, it's hard to plan for all of them. But in the future, I'd really like to um, implement more of that in a way where you can uh, really like modify the environment um, just by slicing things apart. Uh, for example, I had um, in an earlier build that I, I will re-implement. So, um, I get some bugs worked out of it. Uh, there's like multi-level like um, kind of destroyed parking garage looking buildings and uh, you could actually slice the columns holding up multiple levels and cause them to collapse um, on top of enemies and stuff like that. Uh, so that's the kind of interaction that I definitely uh, want uh, players to be able to engage with going forward. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I find it, it's it's always like, 
a fun balance act. Whenever I talk to developers, especially like smaller games or like team size, it's always an interesting balance act of the level of when they decide mechanically a game is done. Because like, obviously you want to, in, in a perfect world, you'd want almost everything interactable, but that's just not possible, right? Because you have time constraints, you have just just same being constraints of wanting a game out there. Exactly. And also, I don't want, you know, I don't want to put something out there that, you know, it might be fun, but also it can kind of break the game and, and cause an unpleasant experience, especially in VR when, you know, if if, um, if there's severe issues, you could have people uh, get sick and stuff like that. So um, it's kind of been a balance of, you know, what I can ship right now um, that's also, you know, going to be appealing and not and not give a bad impression. Mm-hmm. So have you actually, so while you're developing, I assumed, because obviously now you're in early access, even while you're developing, you had, you probably had some level of people playing it or messing with it. How, how has that been kind of like watching people go into VR, like, like motion sickness, all those fun, like technical constraints we have to deal with of like people in VR? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, uh, it's a lot of fun to watch people play. I've had some, uh, players um pretty much you know when they buy it they'll uh, message me on discord and say hey do you want to watch me play especially because they know it is uh you know pretty um in a pretty early state right now and uh, even even when they do encounter bugs it's actually um kind of fun especially because uh you know sometimes that adds to this sort of like um excitement of the game and you see you know you might see a, a ragdoll flying around or something and uh you know it kind of makes for a cool visual but obviously it is something that um, is nice for me to see so that i can address um but uh, it, it's also great for me to um, get feedback on control schemes, especially. Um, I, I, I'm right-handed, and the way that I designed the game, uh, I mean, it felt natural to me. But um, but then, you know, once I see a lot of players playing, they say, oh, it feels like a handed, uh, like, control setup. Uh, and I think that's mostly based on just the way that other that many other games are set up. But, um, you know, I've definitely gotten a lot of feedback that, uh, you know, I, I, it would have been kind of impossible for me to... To find without you know a player base that's that's telling me and showing me you know playing this. So I'm I'm actually curious about that because I'm right-handed also, so I don't think I would have thought of it. What what was the big complaint about left-handed? Was it just if you use your left hand, it was just impossible kind of hit things? So uh, no, I think the the main um, reason for that is that the uh, like free locomotion is mapped to the right controller, and then turning uh, is mapped to the left. And I know most games it's the opposite. Um, like I said, I don't know for, for me, but maybe it's just you know from developing it so much and not having other perspectives, it kind of you know it, it didn't really feel any different to me. But I know you know if you've been playing game after game where the the look where the actual movement is mapped to the left and the, the turning is mapped to the the right, I can see how that would feel um, kind of off at first. I have had players though who initially said that, then come back later and say, well, actually, after playing for a little, feels right now. But uh, I think at first, um, just because it is you know different from a lot of the other popular games, um, it feels a little off. Mm-hmm. No, that, then that makes sense. It, it's we, it's like, um, so in the beginning, I think this is part of, one of the problems with VR as it's starting to, starting to mature is, we always talk about, like, if I hand the average person Xbox controller and say, play this game, there's some level of assumptions they make. When we first introduced VR, we got to basically make up those assumptions as we went along, but now kind of, as time goes on, people who experience VR, I feel like, have now those same assumptions that they had with like picking up a controller exactly especially you know like your hardcore vr players that um you know that play hours per day uh they play more than i do so they're gonna have you know more familiarity with with one set of um controls you know that, and, and something other other than that's definitely gonna feel off to them so uh that was you know definitely um something interesting and something that i'm, I'm gonna be implementing uh a fix for with you know, whether it's just a different um Steam VR input mapping or something in game to switch it, but uh, it's definitely something that I'll be addressing based on that feedback. So, one of the other things I want to touch on, uh, as I like to touch on with every every person I talk to who makes VR games. Um, so, obviously, you're going into a, we'll say, a very tight market. I think this is the, this is the proper term compared to like the general PC market or general console market. How like so like has that changed kind of your expectations of? like, either sales trajectory of the game, or how does that change even, like, how you think the reach is physically possible and stuff? Um, yeah, uh, obviously, developing for PC VR specifically, um, you know, you're not going to see the kind of sales numbers or that you would, even on, you know, say, Oculus Quest or PlayStation VR. Um, so, and I think, you know, you have to go into it knowing that. Um, for me, as just an indiv- uh, individual developer, um, 
it's not a huge issue because uh, you know it's not like I'm pouring millions into the game with you know a staff of fifty plus people and all that kind of stuff. So um, you know I'm pretty free to do that. Uh, I know for larger companies, you know, it's difficult for them to justify you know spending AAA game development money on a, on a game that's audience is uh, relatively small. But um, you know I don't need to see uh, you know a huge audience for this. Um, you know I, I kind of build it you know for. Uh, something that I would play and that, that's fun for me and if other people enjoy it, then great. Um, but, you know, that's not a huge concern for me. Uh, and, I mean, in the future, I definitely have, um, you know, experimented with uh, some Oculus Quest uh, development in PlayStation VR. So, you know, in the future, if I was looking to really reach like, a larger audience, um, I'd probably go down that road. But uh, for this game, I was really just looking to kind of um, push the limits visually and uh, even with physics and stuff like that. So, um, you know, that was never... I was never really thinking like, oh, let me make this uh, as accessible as possible on all different platforms. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. I, I always argue, I, I argue personally that the indie game rule should always be assume you're going to fail and make a game that you want to play because just, just, just the indie game market is very rough in general just because how many there are out there. Exactly. I mean, at least the one benefit with VR, you have less games coming out than um, you know, on non-VR platforms, but you also have a much smaller audience. So, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, it is, I mean, even without really any kind of, like, uh, marketing or anything, you, you do get noticed, at least, you know, at launch. Um, you get some exposure, you know, you know that, that new and upcoming uh, list on Steam. You know, it's not like it's just bombarded with hundreds of titles per day. Um, so there is that benefit. So, actually, you could have touched on this. So do you feel, because personally, unless, unless you're going to tell me otherwise, your game, I think, looks cool and it looks strong. I just didn't feel like it was uber-processing intense. Do you feel something like the Quest is, like, a future point of the game you might try for? Or do you feel this is home on more of the desktop PC VR market? Um, I know with other projects, you know, that's always kind of in the back of my mind, like, oh, let me make sure that this can run uh, on Quest in the future. Um, with this one, uh, I would say no, um, just because, you know, there are certain things where, at least right now, you're just thinking, well, I just won't be able to do this on Quest, and I don't want to limit myself. You know, you don't want to limit um, a feature... Uh, for PC users that might be really cool uh, just because, you know, you want to be able to port it for Quest later. Um, so with this game, I would say no, just, you know, some of the post-processing, some of the uh, physics, stuff like that. Um, it, it's just, you know, I, and I know a lot of people have requested, oh, you know, is there a Quest version coming? Could it come on, uh, on Quest? Um, probably not. I mean, if it did uh, down the line, if there was enough demand for that, it would have to kind of be... Um, probably a different game uh, and which you've kind of, I think you've seen some developers do where they kind of come out with like a light version of their game. It's, you know, the same kind of design themes and stuff like that, but it's uh, not the same game just because, um, you know, you, you can't really take everything and necessarily, you know, uh, squeeze it down into a, a quest form. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think I think Robo Recall is the I think the biggest example. If you look at the Quest version versus the desktop version, I don't even know how we define those as the same game. Just because like yeah. it's the same game, and it may look similar, but like it it is so not like. And it's funny because you think because it was Epic, like it would it would have the biggest line possible of being able to handle on both. Exactly, I think it was a different developer for the Quest version as well. Yeah, and I think I think I'm that. Not and I think that but, that'd be a fine example of what you're talking about. Of like, we all think they could run everything, but it kind of just it just yeah, isn't and there. And you probably could take pretty much anything and, and squeeze it into some kind of form, but it just might not really resemble, you know, the original game. Um, so at that point, you know, uh, what's the point? You know, if, if it's not going to translate well, why do it? Mm-hmm. So. As we get to the tail end of this, one of the things I really wanted to touch on was so your your game's in early access, kind of. And I think we've kind of touched on this on and off because you've you've talked about there's like maybe some instability stuff you want to poke at, kind of. What what do you feel? So this I think is a unique game for early access. Is why I'm going with this because it's early access. I feel a lot of times you like roguelikes in early access a lot, or online shooters akin to like PUBG in early access online a lot. Why why early access for this type of game, which I feel is early access just feels like a bigger beta group comparatively to like some level of some other games. Um, yeah, I mean, going back to some of the things I touched on earlier, um, you know, it's hard. Uh, I, I mean, in some ways I kind of do compare it to um, another beta uh, for the game. It, you know, it's hard, especially as an independent, uh, independent developer, um, you know, when you're, when you're going through testing and development uh, with VR, um, you know, it's not always easy to find a large enough audience for viable testers, um, stuff like that 
so you know, the, putting the game out in early access is actually, uh, you know, it's the most feedback that I've gotten, um, especially in the first couple of weeks. Uh, as you have people buy it and say like, oh, you know, I love it, but you know, I have this one issue or that one issue, um, and I, I usually address those pretty quickly within a day or two uh, via an update. Um, but also, I wanted to give people uh, the opportunity to, to to buy the game, to try it, uh, to, to try the combat mechanics. Um, you know, and as as I continue to develop actual story based content, um, which which you know, uh, all of the story based content could be you know a year or two down the line, uh, but I still think that there's um, you know a lot of fun to be had just playing around in like the combat sandbox modes, uh, and and also that obviously lets me. Um, really fine-tune that as I uh, continue to develop the story-based missions as well. So I, I think, um, and if you look at the early access page on Steam, uh, that's you know kind of the biggest reason that I emphasize on there is, is really getting those um, combat mechanics down um, before all the story-based content is implemented. No, that, that makes sense. I can, like, just, just from poking with that stuff, or even the idea of, like, you running physics in VR, I can only imagine the thousands of headaches that, that that would take just to get it quite how you want it. Exactly, especially when, you know, with PC VR, you're dealing with um, so many different combinations of PC hardware and VR headsets, um, and, and this is available on um, so from Windows to 5 to Index to Oculus. So, um, you know, and I can test all of those, but, you know, I only have a couple PCs I can test on, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't necessarily, you know, it's, it's hard for me to simulate the experience that every player might have um, so being able to actually get those players to give me their feedback with all different setups, um, even just different room uh, size and space setups, things like that, um, that's uh, really helpful. You know, that makes sense. So as we're talking, um, I think it's safe to say the game's been out a little under, we're going to say about a month in early access. How has the feedback that you've received during the access, which at the time of us talking, like your Steam pages is, is defined as mixed, which is early access game, like that, that stuff can change fundamentally. How much does that change kind of like your development roadmap going forward? Um, I mean, uh, I wouldn't say it's changed it too much because uh, I've you know, I pretty much anticipated um, uh, most of the way that it's gone so far. Um, you know, I think you get a lot of people buying the game and expecting, you know, um, like uh, Half-Life or something like that, uh, even though it's early access. I mean, I even I even put a free demo on the page because I want people, you know, before they buy it, I want them to know, and I've, I've emphasized in the description, you know, that this is very early access. And if you're buying now, you know, part of what you're doing is kind of participating in the development of the game. Um, so, you know, you, you get a lot of people that just ignore all that, just download and, and just, you know, play for two minutes and then uh, maybe write a bad review or just don't play again. But then, um, you know, I would say probably get as many people that play for a while, give feedback, uh, play the next update with that feedback um, implemented, get more feedback, and and you know that's uh, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I wish you the best of luck as you continue, because I go back to physics, VR, pain in the butt. Um, so uh, I'm gonna say God bless your soul, best of luck for trying to tackle that monster on its own. As we get to the end of this, is there anything else that you feel that, like, you want people to know anything about your game, kind of, like, is, like, the final taste? Um, yeah, I think uh, the one thing that I get asked constantly is um, about multiplayer. Uh, obviously, everybody wants, you know, to be able to have, you know, a saber fight with their friends, uh, chop them up and stuff like that. Uh, and it's something that going into the game, um, that was kind of part of my vision, was I do want to have um, multiplayer battles. Um, obviously, uh, it's a it's a difficult endeavor. Um, there's a lot of you know networking issues and things like that that, that need to be worked out. But um, I tell people all the time it's something that uh, you know if, if it can be done, I will definitely do it. Um, you know, hopefully in the near future. Uh, but uh, you know, I am constantly testing different approaches to that, and uh, it's something that you know is definitely a priority for me to be to make it into the final game. Okay, perfect, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. So the game is War Saber. Uh, it is a currently an early access game on Steam for $20, but there's a free demo of the game? Yep, yeah, it's, uh, it's $19.99, uh, but there's a free demo available. Uh, like I said, you know, I want people to, to play it first, and, you know, uh, it, it might not be for everyone. I mean, uh, it's difficult, I would say. Um, you know, it, it is constantly changing as well, but, uh, you know, I want to give people the opportunity to to kind of always see what, what state the game is in before they buy it. Um, because, uh, you know, like I said, I, I really want to draw players in that want to be a part of, of the development of it. So, mm-hmm. And then the, then it's warsaber.com? 
Yep. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Rob, for sitting down and talking to me, and I look forward to see how the game all turns out as the, your early access continues. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special segment of the SWW show. It is an interview with me, AJ. Um, I am here with Philip and Lisa from Caligari Games, makers of Whateverland, who have a demo, I guess is the, the best way to describe it, releasing soon, June 10th, 12th, 10th. Around that time, yeah. 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 So, uh, early June. Yeah, as um, soon as Steam approves it, I'd say. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully they, uh, a lot of people seem to have a lot of time on their hands right now, so I'd imagine approval processes uh, are going a little bit faster. But No, unfortunately, <laughs> it, it doesn't. <laughs> Still? Actually, I mean... it takes, yeah, it takes much more time for them to, to approve things because they work from home, and uh, the other thing uh, that uh, Steam cannot test Linux and Mac versions. Oh, okay. Because they are at home, so they they check only the Windows versions of the game. But I mean, uh, it, it's good to know that Steam trusts us and, uh, and our they're willing to upload it without any test. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, hey, if there's just minor things that go wrong, I mean, you're better than. I can think of a couple big games that release that just either don't work on Linux and Mac at all or had major issues. So if you can have, even if you have just a tiny little thing, you're better than, than a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, better than the big boys. <laughs> That's true. So That's true. whatever land is a, uh, a point and click adventure game um, with some attitude. I guess is the easiest way to describe it. Um, yeah, you can say that. <laughs> uh, I de I really, really like the uh, the art style of it. I mean, it's it's much more than the uh, traditional point and click where they almost do like a cell shading isn't the right word, but kind of that style where it's very two dimensional. Um, it looks very flat. Whereas your guys' looks, and you have, obviously, the definition, the, the 3D effect on faces and objects and things like that. But there's also this perceived depth in the scene itself that very few, you know, even very few 2D games in general nail that, that perceived depth, because that's, I'm sure, any... Any artist will, you know, agree with this. Where creating three-dimensional space in a flat edge is one of the toughest things to master, and you guys seem to uh, seem to have at least nailed that. That's well, interesting. That you... All thanks to our artists. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. This. It's funny that you said that because, uh, in many ways, the hotel started as a very, you know, um, I'd say abstract style um, project in terms of visuals. Because we were uh, drawing a lot of inspiration from uh, cartoons like Samurai Jack, for example, which is very, very flat and very one-dimensional. But uh, at the same time, we realized that it would be really cool to explore, you know, what 2D could do for us and how we could, you know, how we could create space, not just a background, but a space where the characters existed. And yeah, if, if, it's really cool that you mentioned that because it's really, it means that we're going in the right direction, I guess. <laughs> You're succeeding. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's that's all you, that's anyone cool. can ever ask for is somebody to point out, like, "Hey, you you nailed it." Say, your artist nailed it. <laughs> We're good. Yeah, we'll, we'll tell her that. Um, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of thought process uh, going into the backgrounds because essentially, you know, when you have a game that is an adventure and that's very much story based. Well, the story is pretty much all it is, except for, you know, not all it is, but that's the most of it. And you got to do something about the the space that the game takes place in. So, yeah. For sure. Um, you know, in, uh, with, with my experience of point-and-click adventure games, like, 
the thing, at least for me, that makes them succeed and other ones fail is the ones that succeed, like you said, they make you feel like everything belongs. It like It's not just like a, a pristine world that the character just walks into the scene and then it's that. It, the scenes look like mm-hmm. it's a world that they've been lived in, that it's... Like, for me, uh, my background being uh, film and video production, like, that... Oh, cool. The the ability Mm -hmm. to make things look lived in is really what makes TV and movies and even animated things look just real. I mean, the the idea of, oh, it's, you know, it's this amazing Mm -hmm. kitchen that everything's spotless. No, let's... Let's be honest. Like, if you have white walls in a kitchen, they're gonna be dirty. Um, you know, if, yeah, that's true. That's true. If you're in a city scene, there's gonna be, even if it's not a lot, there's gonna be garbage on mm-hmm. the ground just because that's inevitably what happens. And yeah, you guys, I'm just so enthralled with the the art style of this of whatever <laughs> land that, like, th- this entire thing could just me be me like saying this just looks Thanks, i mean man. it's 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 really inspiring and it means a lot to us yeah we, we've been uh, spending so much time and energy on this so it's so so encouraging to hear that that you like it yeah it's, it really is and it looks like from your from your screens and things that we have your everything is like ready I don't know if you guys are planning on like an early access release or not, but it looks like this looks like a game, like something that you would, you would go to. Well, maybe not go to a store. Yeah. Maybe not go to a store right now because can't, but it's not ready yet. (laughs) At least visually it looks like it's Mm -hmm. ready. So, and visual first impressions are things that, a lot of people attached to and at least for me personally i am much more likely to allow something to have maybe a few rough edges as long as what i'm looking at works you know there's there's a lot of early access games out there that like are very early access like proof of concept (laughs) ideas Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, these yeah. these basic like Unity or uh, Unreal models. Sorry, not. I'll give you five minutes, and that's about it. But this mm-hmm. is definitely something that you could. I mean, anybody really could hop into this, and like I said, it visually looks like it's done. And well. Yeah, it's not done for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, maybe yeah, on the back end it's not done, but it, it it's not done. Yeah. yeah the thing is, once yeah. we once we will upload our demo for the public access, uh it will be like the prologue. It's a, it's a new thing. It's a very trending thing. Uh we, we will have a prologue of our game uh, for free available for people to, to check it out and uh, the thing about it being ready actually we kind of hope that we will gain a lot of information from players after the prologue release so that we will be able to change something uh, for the final game uh, based on what people think about it about the ui design and 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 so on yeah maybe something to do with you know controls and stuff but uh what you said about um early access i would i think we would never ever ever go to early access with a game like whateverland i just think it's it's unfair to the players honestly because i with a game that's supposed to be played as a you know it's supposed to be played as a whole like there's a story right. and you gotta you gotta experience it experience it experience it sorry as a whole and then you know just giving them like well this is a half-baked version of it enjoy like i I wouldn't want to do that you know i would i would want the game well it's not it doesn't feature multiplayer or anything that needs like careful tweaking and careful testing with actual people like many games do and i i I understand why they do early access but for a game like that like for an adventure point and click that's just i think it's just idiotic honestly to go into early access with a half-baked game so yeah Yeah. for sure i mean 
I, uh, for those listening, I don't know if you ever played the game, but, uh, according to Steam, this game will be similar to Firewatch, which, um, no, <laughs> I know. I was like, yeah. I, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's yeah, a really weird. So. Sometimes Steam makes these weird suggestions. Well, it's not really. Is this it game is, relevant uh, to you? Similar to games you've played, Firewatch. Firewatch. I mean, I love Firewatch actually. I mean, I it's a really it. good game. So, like, it's a really good game. If if that's anything to go by, then whatever land's going to be a really good game. So, no, it it is. They are similar in terms of you know being centered around the story and. Things like that. That's pretty much it. Yeah, because well, also maybe like the the theme of it, but Steam doesn't know the main theme of Borderlands yet. So yeah, it's just it's it's a very it's a it's a stretch. Let's say it's 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 a stretch, and it's not three D, and it's not really about this kind of aimless exploring kind. You know, it's it's very different in its atmosphere, in its tone. It's it's just it's a completely different game. Let's just put it that way. I hope as uh, captivating and as good as Firewatch, but just, you know, thematically it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's very, very different. Yeah. The, sometimes those, uh, those relevant tags are a little, it's a bit of a stretch. And... It is. Yeah. It is. And most of the time it's, it's pretty far from what it actually is. You know, I, I'd rather compare it to, you know, other point and clicks and maybe, yeah, I don't even know what I would compare it to, honestly. It's funny. Maybe Firewatch is just the game that I have the most hours on and tags that it has. And... Yeah, maybe. 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 Some Steam magic. Yeah. Some, uh, yeah, some, Gabe, some Gabe magic in the, in the back end. That's yeah, like, probably. That's just like <laughs> pulling the tags and like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to use our new Steam AI or whatever they're calling it. I think it's just, you know, the story-rich tag and things like that. Yeah, maybe. Cool. This is uh, whatever land is coming out in. It says twenty twenty, but I yeah, won't we, do we, it. we think. Yeah, we we think uh, it will be uh, a quarter, the fourth quarter of the year. So probably. Like, yeah, and even the other year. Yeah. November ish, December ish, <laughs> something okay, like hopefully. that. That's that's a good time. That's when you're supposed to have time to play video games because everybody's either home for the holidays or inside because you're uh, underneath five feet of snow. Um, so <laughs> it depends on where you are, but yeah, yeah. most places, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you were mentioning, but before we started, you were uh, going to launch a Kickstarter with this, or yeah, we're yeah. actually planning. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, Philip can tell you about that. I think. Yeah, we're we're planning the to launch a Kickstarter campaign somewhere around ten of June, and um, pretty much the same at the same moment the prologue will be released, so that you will be able to check the game before you will actually uh, can give us some money, <laughs> hopefully. So yeah. I mean, it's it's the first Kickstarter in our lives, and we are doing it completely ourselves, without any additional help, without agencies or without publishers and uh, and stuff. So, I think for, for the game for the game like ours, it's it's crucial to start building a community before the release, and the Kickstarter, in the weird way, is the best way to do it. Because all of those people who will be interested enough to to give us some money to finish the game, I think with their uh, with their information that they will give us after playing the demo, we will be able to make the game specifically for them. And uh, the games as whatever, and the adventure games, point and click, point and click games. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, they are mostly for very like specific kind of people it's it's not a, a genre for everyone it was somewhere around 90s i suppose <laughs> but but for now with all those fancy games out there and the fortnite 
and the Minecraft. <laughs> oh yeah, but you know, yeah, I don't so, agree with that. The, the fancy yeah. games, the Fortnites. I mean, it's not a fancy yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, well, my, totally Minecraft, I could give you Minecraft. I could give you fancy games because there's some stuff people are creating that's just incredible. But yes. Fortnite, yeah. I mean, it's not very fancy. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, I meant in in in, oh, in the yeah. in, in the manner of uh, you know number of people who. who oh, who's definitely, playing. yeah. Yeah. So the 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 point and click genre is is for a very small group of people, but those people are very very like hearthstone community who who knows yeah. what the game should be and who who really enjoys good storytelling and stuff. So. I mean, we kind of prepared for that, and I think that Kickstarter is probably the best way to have a conversation with them, to to actually see what they uh, think about our game, what what they like and don't like about it. Yeah, because it's really hard. Sometimes it's really hard to do something for a long period of time without any feedback at all. And you just kind of start wondering, like, what am I doing? Am I doing this right? Like, is anybody going to play it? Like, is anybody going to like it? Uh, where am I going with this, you know, especially when writing a game like that? So, yeah, we're really hoping to um, to, to find the, these people who are going to play this game and um, to kind of, you know, talk to them more regularly about this, about this stuff. I do like that you're going the approach of you'll have a free uh, a free demo to check out before the Kickstarter before pledging to the Kickstarter, because that's my, like if my number one pet peeve with um, Kickstarters, excuse me, is a lot of times the like demo or whatever they have that you could get right away is locked behind some tier that you have to, to fund. And like, I'm not a huge fan of that because I also don't like rescinding, you know, money to taking money from the Kickstarter back. Like I only, I've pledged to, I think four Kickstarters because I genuinely believed in what they were, or it was something that I really liked. And, you know, I don't want to go where, Oh, I have to pledge $5. Okay. I'll pledge five bucks. And then, you know, pull my mm-hmm. donation. Once I get the, uh, the demo, whereas you guys are, Hey, there's a demo. You can check it out. You don't have to commit right away. If you like it, here's how you can help us. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That was our approach as well. And uh, I just, judging by myself, I've I've very rarely pledged to anything. You know, it gotta, it just, it has to speak to me in a way, or at least I have to try it first. And if I like that, then, you know, the, the chance that I'm going to give my money for it, then it just doubles or triples. So, yeah. But it's not really, uh, I, I wouldn't say that we uh, want to um, um, to, to to launch the like the free demo thing just for the Kickstarter alone. alone. It's not just for that. It's it's just, it's for the, for the upcoming release of the whole game as well. Like, I think people deserve to try it before buying it. In many, in many, you know, in many situations, it just it would be it would be great if all games had demos. Honestly. <laughs> oh, absolutely! I I can remember when I was, oh boy, I was, let's go with ten, and every game had a demo, or wow. they the magazines yeah, had. Yeah, I remember that. The yeah. magazines had demo no, discs, and <laughs> and you know you could try stuff like you said, try it before you buy it, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it was like oh hey uh the PlayStation 3 we're going to have demos very early on and then no demos and then like in a weird way demos finally came back probably like a year ago with the PS3 then it was like oh cool we're going to have demos again and nope and now they're coming back <laughs> Like, why couldn't we just have these all the time? Well, not all of the games. Can you imagine a demo for Firewatch? 
Oh, a demo for Firewatch would be the whole game. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it would be pointless. It's like you're just walking around and talking to a girl through a walkie-talkie. Like that's that's like okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy that. You know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't show you anything. So because there's not much to show gameplay wise, you know. Yeah, so some games it just doesn't work for them. But for most of the games, that definitely works. Yeah, yeah. I mean. You're you're definitely right. Narrative games, I think, would struggle with a demo because a lot of them. I mean, there's a lot of games that I've played in the past year, eighteen months, where there are these narrative-based games that they're not necessarily designed for a single sitting to be played in, but they're definitely like not necessarily play it once, but play it once and then a year down the road come back and play it again. It's not like a, a sports game or a Call of Duty where mm-hmm. you're you're kind of incentivized to play little bits and pieces every day. So. Yeah, so you kind of can check out the mechanic of the game through demo and just realize if it's for you or not. But then, you know, for our game, I think the demo will be really good because it's essentially, it's not just a demo, it's more of a an actual prologue. It's the first... Uh, 20 minutes or so of the game itself and uh, they're not going to change much they're pretty much ready so it's kind of like it gives you a glimpse it gives you an understanding of what the game is and what the story is like and if you like you can decide if you like that or not but also it doesn't give away that much content because there's just so much content beyond the demo and uh, you know it's 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 very introductory and in a, in a good way I'd say yeah, twenty minutes is also like the right length for for demos or for just intros in general, especially in games where I'm not like I'm not a huge fan of games that have a three hour intro where I can't if I'm busy, like I have to keep doing that over and over again. The, the classic example was the uh the intro to near automata you couldn't even yeah, yeah, yeah. was it you I couldn't know. save the game yeah. in the first like hour so i think i played the first hour of near automata four times <laughs> yeah I, I totally i totally see what you mean and i've played near automata and it's just but I, i'd say that uh you can excuse games like near automata because <laughs> yeah. they're just completely my that's just it's such a mindfuck of a game that oh, yeah. it works in a strange way you know it's like the, the japanese people can can get out get you know they can just do anything they want and it works weirdly enough so it's like it's the same thing it's a very long game and then you have to play it like three times to get a get an understanding of what the game is about so <laughs> you know but but yeah i totally see what you mean it was the same thing with prey i think it was a pretty long intro not an hour yeah, but yeah, it was like long. 45 minutes it was yeah and it, it was, was slow it was, that prey intro it was, was yeah slow. yeah it was pretty long and slow and kind of you know and i never bought the game after it so it <laughs> yeah, probably it was like, wasn't, yeah. yeah it wasn't pretty, wasn't the, the, the part of the game that they should have shown i don't know yeah, it's it's a really tough question, but yeah, I think we I think our demo and our prologue is is pretty balanced in that regard. Well, we hope so. <laughs> yeah, well, I I know I generally think we, so. We didn't we didn't have a playtest with with like people outside the project yet, so we <laughs> yeah. don't really know how well will it work. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see about that. I mean, as long as it's not a. Uh... Complete fire, you should be fun. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> well, I'm definitely looking forward to it, and uh, I hope everyone listening is looking forward to it. You can find the prologue on Steam June 10th. Find the entire game on Steam. Sometime Q4. Someday. <laughs> Someday, yeah. Someday this year, I'm pretty sure of it. All right, I'll hold you to that. <laughs> if uh, if whatever land isn't released by December thirty first, twenty twenty, I'll uh, I'll send an email. Okay. Like, hey. An angry, an angry email to our like. So you have to write an angry, angry tweet. 
and okay. tag us all and be like, why just, is it not enough? one word, like, bad. Bad, bad, yeah. yes, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Consider- considering I'm not uh, huge on Twitter, I feel like a, a tweet at the end of the year where I just call somebody out will have much more, uh, much more emphasis <laughs> than just, like, any other. Yeah, yeah probably. But yeah, it was supposed to come out earlier than that. But then, you know, the pandemic thing happened and we're just trying to figure that out and trying to navigate it as much as we can. And it's not, you know, it's not easy uh, doing all of those things that you used to do in an office, sitting with those people and kind of communicating all the time. And now we just kind of have to, you know, outsource everything. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I've definitely it's seen different. stuff where... At work, it would be, oh, I can just walk over to somebody's desk mm-hmm. and get an answer. And now it's at least a day to answer that question because it's email correspondence back and forth and nobody's ever directly at something. So it's, oh, yeah, I'll email you a question. and then Yeah, yeah we're lucky in that regard, I'd say, because we don't have to email anyone. We just call them up. We're just yeah. like, hey, it's, it's three in the morning. Hey. I have a question for you because we're kind of, we're kind of, uh, you know, we are working together and we're colleagues, but they're, we're also, you know, we also play games together and we're also as much as a group of friends and, you know, as, as colleagues. So that, that works pretty fine. I'd say is there's, there's not, not much of a, of a communication issue between us, which is great because uh, if, if we didn't have like a, year uh, of working together in an office prior to that, prior to the pandemic, that would be a lot harder because a lot of game devs are very, you know, introverted people and it's really hard to make them communicate with each other without kind of, you know, pushing them together. Like, you have to write it yourself. You gotta, you gotta do that. You gotta do this. Okay. And then never doing it. So, yeah. There needs to be a service where uh, anybody can sign, anybody that thinks they're a little too introverted to reach out to people where it's just somebody that just bugs them. You just send, <laughs> send the service like your cell phone number and somebody just like mass texts you like, Hey, did you ask them this? Hey, did you ask them this? Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a great that's startup a... idea. Actually. All right. That's there not, we go. That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> I'm going to make my, you want, my... you want to start a business together? <laughs> no, I know a few people. I'm, I'm going to make my, my Silicon Valley, you know, investor startup money like, <laughs> because it's a it's a service to to prod introverts to do stuff i think it's gonna be very popular in silicon valley itself <laughs> actually <laughs> probably uh, who knows anyway before i give any more business ideas out there um yeah it was great talking to you guys and, yeah thanks it was uh, great talking you. to you as well this podcast was a production of The SWW Show. To learn more, go to theswwshow.com. Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter at The SWW Show. You can follow me at Mikey underscore Maroney. You can follow AJ at Lossiebor. Remember, new episodes premiere on Friday, 9 a.m. Central Time on anchor.fm slash SWW and podcast services around the globe.